Welcome back to Clear the Air. Today, we will be diving into all things cryptocurrency, NFT, and blockchain related. This has been a hot topic lately, given the rise of Bitcoin, recent naming rights deal for Crypto.com Arena, formerly known as Staples Center, and the prevalence of crypto Super Bowl ads. I'll admit I'm a novice with this subject and I'm still unclear about why this has exploded to the degree that it has. Hopefully this will change after today though, as we sit down with Amy Scheiner and David Tran from RPA. They are big proponents of utilizing blockchain technology to power currency in the future. Hopefully you enjoy. Thank you, uh, Amy and David, for finally connecting here. Uh, it's been a, been a long time coming to get this discussion going about uh, NFTs, blockchain, cryptocurrency. You know, I recorded an intro earlier. You know, I'm, I'm definitely a novice in this space, so looking to definitely pick your brains and have you guys uh, educate our audience about what's what's kind of happening in this arena. But, uh, you know, as, as a starting point, how about... Um, yeah, how about you guys uh, introduce yourselves? Maybe talk about you know your role at RPA, how long you've been here, and your you know your team structure. We'd love to uh, hear more about that. For sure, Amy, you you want to go first? Sure. Well, we're we're happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Um, my name is Amy Seidner. I am the executive digital producer on Honda and Farmers. Our teams work across social and digital, so anything from digital banners all the way to potentially NFTs. So um, it's everything under the sun for both social and digital work. Cool. Uh, David Tran, Director of Analytics for RPA. Um, my main account is Honda, but I'm kind of spread across other brands as well, like AMPM, Pocky, um, what else, the DAAs and whatnot. So it's a pretty broad portfolio, but Honda's where it's at for me. Super excited to be here as well. And, you know, I feel like, we're still so early early in the game that I think technically we're all newbies. Yep. So it's a great place to be in because it's dynamic. Um, we're, we're kind of like building the bridge as we cross the bridge in a lot of ways. <laughs> so I think, um, I think that's what is going to bring us together. The fact that we're all learning together and having fun together. Definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, before I dive in, Amy, looking at your background, I see the Hulk and Captain America there. I, <laughs> Are, are, are you a Batman fan by any any chance? Do you happen to have any opinions about the latest Batman movie that came out? Or yeah. uh, I don't have opinions about that, but I'm sure that they have an NFT drop that go accompanies that movie. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, we just had a recent interview with H with an HBO Max product lead, and we were talking about our love for Batman. So yeah, I was just 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 curious there. Yeah, well, you know, to kick it off, I remember when we all chatted um, last time. You, you know, one thing you guys were really uh, you know, stressing was the value of kind of blockchain as an underlying technology and how secure it is and some of the advantages over some of the traditional methods that organizations use to um, to 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 provide security for their data. Um, yeah, we'd love for, you know, maybe David, we'll start with you. Um, you know, what what are what is blockchain, I guess, as a starting point and what are the value adds and benefits of it? You know. Yeah, it's always nice to understand the underpinning technology um, because it, that's once you understand how things work, that's where it clicks and you start to see the value. So I don't know if it helps to kind of like break down the terminology because in all honesty, once you kind of wrap your head around the lingo, it's a lot easier to digest, right? So at a high level, blockchain technology is just 
a way to record things digitally, right? Um, might be a fun exercise for folks who, who are listening, but you can imagine if you grab like a line, a piece of lined paper. Um, I mean, I'll just grab this little piece of paper here, but imagine, you know, this is a block and then there are like little lines here. And so every time you make a transaction, a node or a computer will get this block of information. And let's just say it's good enough to fit 10 lines of data. So this is the block size. And so when a transaction gets written or recorded, a new block later on gets appended. And now you have a chain of blocks or a blockchain. I mean, if you think about a blockchain, really, it what everybody kind of uses as a first time analogy is like we all go out to lunch and Phil, let's say you you pay for lunch, right? There's got to be some way for us to record that transaction that you paid for me and Amy so that later on we can go back and pay you back the money that we owe you. The real question ph philosophically is who's going to hold that record? Is it going to be you, Phil, or is it going to be Amy or myself? In our real world, you know, a lot of us pay with a credit card or a check. So the bank really keeps record of that transaction. So it's really centralized in that way. And so when we talk about, about why blockchain is better, blockchain is better because it's decentralized. So in that same scenario, we went to lunch and you paid for, for lunch and, you know, I somehow broke into your office and got a hold of your record or your ledger and scribbled in that, you know, you owe me 20 bucks. Now I'm the, I'm this bad actor. And if this is the only record that the three of us has, who's going to be the wiser, you know, who's going to know. So if you had a copy and Amy had a copy and I had a copy, this kind of mitigates the, the bad actor from frauding everybody. So I guess, how would that play out in that case? Say there was a bad actor and they somehow got access to my record of that transaction. Um, I, I guess, would they would they not be able to really act upon that because there's multiple records like like I guess how, how is how is that prevented? I guess I'm trying to I'm, I'm comparing that to a scenario if, um, you know, somebody were to steal my credit card information and then use that to purchase, you know, products online, I guess in the, the scenario you're describing, like, why would that not happen compared to the, the, the banking type of structure? Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like if someone has grabbed your credit card and they're using it fraudulently, that's a little bit removed now. You know, it's that kind of stuff is just everyday fraud. But I guess where blockchain helped mitigate the fraudulent activity is at the recording level, you know, where that data gets housed. Because going back to this, this like uh, thought about a block, if this is a block, what technically what happens is that there's a hash here. You can think of a hash as a, uh, a riddle, right? They've taken data and they have encoded it so that it's password protected, if you will. Hmm. And so this other side also has a hash or a riddle. So what happens is if you, and the way the hash works is that it reads through that entire block and it makes up a unique identifier. Hmm. So if you were to change something, let's say in the, in the past, a block ahead of it, if you manipulate this data set, what happens is it changes that entire hash. Got so you. everybody's going to know that this has been tampered with. Got you, got you. Um, yeah, so that's yeah, so that's super interesting. And in, in, in that underlying 
method of recording and securing transactions is is that what powers all of the uh, cryptocurrency that we're seeing that in in the the space right now is 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 it the same kind of blockchain technology that's that's powering all that or yeah I'm not not sure if you guys can expand upon that yeah yeah Amy you, you want to go I don't want to take up the entire floor no you can and I <laughs> I mean you are definitely the expert on this so I will defer to you but Phil just to further build on your previous example if someone was trying to steal your ledger, for instance, from your desk, he would just have to go to your desk and change that ledger. Whereas if they're stealing it from a blockchain ledger, it's your desk and David's desk and my desk and every single other desk that's included in this chain. So that's why it's much more secure rather than just one bank, for instance, one Chase bank where it houses all your money. It's every person's bank that is banks with Chase. So just to answer your for your initial question. And then, so this one where you're asking about cryptocurrency, blockchain is the tech behind cryptocurrency, but it's also the tech behind all these other things that we're talking about, like NFTs, and they're trying to expand it further to voting, to farming, to medical. It's, it's the technology that's powering all these things, including cryptocurrency. Yeah, I would say, Phil, like, um question is you know is all are they all on the same blockchain they're not but i would say if you dial it out and look at it at a high level philosophically they're using the same uh, protocols or framework right this concept of blockchain you know there's a, a lot of smart thinking that went into it maybe it goes back to 1991 you know a lot of us don't know that but if you think about back in the day back in 91 they had a thing where people started putting timestamps on digital docs to prevent people from tampering uh, with the documents, kind of like a digital notary, right? And then that that evolved as um, back in 93, we were getting a lot of spam emails. I know it kind of dates us who remember this, but <laughs> spam emails used to be a crazy thing. But so people started saying, hey, let's let's make these systems force a user to compute a little bit of a, a moderately hard function in order to access the resource, right? Mm -hmm. So then that prevented a lot of folks from just sending out massive spam emails to a lot of people because yep. they had to do the computing power. Fast forward back in 09, Satoshi Nakamoto is this figure. We don't know if it's a man or a woman, but this anonymous person came up with this framework where he's like, you know, I'm going to combine timestamps. I'm going to combine proof of work. And then the secret sauce is let me combine a little bit of game theory, right? Get it so that people are incentivized to do the right thing. And that's why you get like it's currencies, digital currencies, right? Because that's how you, people are, are only going to do, or most of the time, they're only going to do things that benefit them. So they've built in game theory where now I've got lots of nodes on the network. I'm a, in a decentralized environment and no one knows who the other person is. How do I build trust in a trustless system? Let me go ahead and incentivize them, but also get them to have some skin in the game. And by that, I mean, like, imagine if you're invested in some business deal. The more money you've got in it, the more you want it to succeed. You don't want it to fail. Right. 
Right. Yep. So the investment here is your computing power. You're going to set aside your computer and have it quote unquote mine. So that's going to be another jargon thing that's that's relevant to crypto and blockchain, right? You have a computer, it's mining the blockchain, essentially is running the algorithm to see who can solve the riddle first. Whoever right. solves the riddle first will be paid out in that cryptocurrency. Gotcha. You know, um, no, it's 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 really interesting. You mentioned the email spam example. So one of my first careers was in email marketing. So I worked at an email service provider, um, experienced cheat email. This is this is dating me. This was 2010 <laughs> or so. And and yeah, I mean, to your point, there was a whole strategy around uh, a lot of different components. Like, how do you word your your from name? What's the content you have in the body of the email? Your mixture of images versus copy. Um, like, what's your cadence that you're sending? If if you're sending too much, like, then you'll get blocked from the internet service providers, the ISPs, and then and then it, that actually spawned uh, businesses that specialize. Return Path as a company. They 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 helped marketers figure out how to get into uh, inboxes, you know, more more efficiently, and so. No, that that's an interesting parallel of how you're saying of how this this evolved because it's better it's better for the consumer. At, at, Absolutely, at, which is how which is how I saw it evolve in the email space. Yeah, yeah. And but as really we talked about before, David, like you mentioned, how blockchains are even now evolving with Ethereum, changing the way that they're doing this um, confirmation or of of the nodes because. Right now, it's so heavy, but as you mentioned before, they're looking at that technology and making a change. So even something so new is being iterated on as we we're talking. Yeah, absolutely. But if you look at blockchain today, there's really just the big difference from blockchain to blockchain is the consensus, consensus algorithm. Like, how do we get all of these nodes to agree that this ledger is correct, for example? So you hear a lot about Bitcoin and Bitcoin is the OG, it's the genesis of all of this. So it works on proof of work, right? We, we spend electricity to have our computers solve a riddle. And if we solve it, then we get to add that new block to the blockchain. The problem with proof of work is that it consumes so much energy. And it's, in our day and age with, um, you know, with global warming, we really have to be conscientious about our environment and being eco-friendly. So there's a lot of folks who don't like that aspect of blockchain, but I gotta say it's the most secure way. And each and every day, like the industry as a whole is moving towards cleaner energy. <laughs> but the reason why I bring up proof of work is because in stark contrast, there is also another consensus algor algorithm called proof of stake. And so that's a little bit different. It's still utilizing this blockchain concept, but the way that things get approved or validated is through stakers. And going back, like how do you incentivize people? How do you get people to have a lot of skin in the game? So now instead of miners, you have nodes that are called validators. So the three of us, you can imagine, could be validators on this blockchain. And how one becomes a validator is that you hold a large amount of that cryptocurrency so that you keep the network stable, right? Because if you've got a lot of money locked up, you get penalized for making fraudulent activities. 
So if you're someone who's holding a million dollars in a node, you're not going to want things to go bad because you might lose half of it or depending on some blockchains, maybe even all of it. So now instead of someone solving a riddle, whoever has the most skin in the game gets a higher likelihood to become the validator, mm -hmm. check the ledger, validate the node, append it to the blockchain, and the rest of us are just sitting over there like confirming that this is legitimate. Because if any of us finds out that, you know, this validator is a bad actor, mm. their money is going to be lost. Got you, got you. Um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that, that's interesting. That's something we didn't touch upon before, the, uh, the proof of work versus validator um, uh, mechanism, I would say, of, of, of how um, blockchain uh, stays secure. I guess, let, you know, let's shift gears. What are, you know, what do you guys think are the uh, either the most prevalent use cases where you see that this is going to be a, a, a benefit for the consumer or the scenarios that you think make the most sense where security is, is maybe more at risk with current transactional uh, met methods right now? I guess I'm curious, like, like, I think we touched on real estate in the past. We touched on um, transactions in uh, maybe sporting events, tickets or things like that. But I, but I'm just curious, like what, you know, what types of transactions you guys see are most prevalent or will be more prevalent with this technology in the future? As it relates to NFTs, right? You know, let's let's stick with cryptocurrency or, or coins for now. And then, uh, yeah, I want to dive into NFTs in a, in a second. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Amy, you want to go first? Sure. I think, um, I mean, there are a lot of different things that are happening with blockchain because it's such a huge technology and can be applied to so many different places. It's, it's a little bit of a loaded question, but there are, um, I mean, the most useful thing that we talked about last time, for instance, was transferring money between people that are in different countries. And so if right now the workflow for transferring money to Japan is, you know, sending it to credit union who then validates it and then sends it to the bank who then validates it and then sends it to the Japanese bank. And so all these, these intermediaries are taking time and money and it's adding to a workflow that could be faster had it been done with a blockchain. So instead of going from point A to B to C to D to E to F to G, you go from point A to B, and then the mechanism that powers that transaction in the middle is this blockchain. So it's a much more direct, transparent, faster, efficient way of transferring money, for instance. Absolutely. I totally agree. Like moving money is going to be a big thing. And honestly, because this framework is so loose, it's really applicable to a lot of industries. But one industry I've got my eye on is combating counterfeits, mm. right? I've been looking at watches lately. And if you look at APs, you know, mm -hmm. or um, even like a, Roli, a, a Rolex, super pricey, especially with, you know, supply chain issues and just the cost of inflation, right? What if you went out and bought a Rolex and discovered that it was fake? Mm. Big bust on your side and you'd be so bummed. So imagine if, you know, the purchase history or even the manufacturing history of that Rolex was recorded on the blockchain so that you can take a look 
and say, all right, you know, I bought this off eBay from this wallet and this wallet actually purchased it from a Rolex distributor. Mm. And now I can trace it back to wherever it was made and maybe even like down to the component level. Like, you know, I know that this quartz piece was done here and that the actual assembly was done in Switzerland, for example. Now I feel better, right? Because I can check the blockchain and I know that this thing is legitimate. Or better yet, someone try to someone trying to flip me an AP for super cheap, I could check the blockchain and whoa, this thing is fake. Mm. Right. So save you time, it'll save you money, and it'll save you heartache. And that's that's gonna be a good use case in the next so that's, uh, Yeah, that's interesting because I guess, you know, the alternative or I should say kind of this the steady state is you purchase it from a just a retailer like a, a Macy's or a watch store, and then I guess you're just reliant on that dealer or that salesperson that that it is legit. And but I guess with the blockchain, um, I guess is there like a digital file or record that you could actually go in and see where the watch was sourced from? Is is that kind of how? You could have visibility into that or just 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 curious there let's just uh, imagine for a second that they use something like ethereum all right so every time a transaction gets recorded on ethereum there is a transaction id a number and you can go on what they call etherscan which is basically a website that allows you to punch in that id and see the history of that transaction or the history of things coming from a certain address and so that's how you would validate it so as long as you have an internet connection and a laptop, it's easy to validate. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, one more thing, I, I guess not just Bitcoins, but a lot of these other coins that are popping up. Um, I, Amy, this is going to be another loaded question. I, I, I know this on the front end, but I'm really curious to get your all's take in what drives the the market values of some of these coins. You know, Bitcoin has gone through this these huge roller coaster swings in market value. Um, you know, having a business degree, I, I know the basics of kind of supply and demand <laughs> dictating what the market price is for assets. But, uh, you know, just curious to get your all's take on, you know, what you see as the drivers with the, you know, the the pricing or the, you know, the the, the values of these various coins. Yeah. David, I think you answered this really succinctly when we first talked. Um, about no pressure, no pressure. The <laughs> pricing of coins. I'll tell you, at the end of the day, is pure speculation, right? Like, like three things you mentioned. Remember, it was like well, for sure, it's like market, a stock. Yep. Market capitalization is one, uh, because when you when you create cryptocurrency, you get to set how much of that currency is in circulation. So, for example, there will only be, what, 23 million Bitcoins ever minted or produced, right? So there's a cap on that. And so as people are buying it, and, you know, not all the Bitcoins have been mined. So as miners are mining more of the Bitcoin and we get down to that limit, you know, the number of Bitcoins in circulation is fixed and spread amongst, like, the masses. You know, the more people who hold it, the more value it is or more valuable it becomes. Got you. Got you. So it, it is partially a function of uh, trend transaction volume. Or I know you I know you just said how many people hold it, but it, do you also think as more retailers and 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 distributors accept Bitcoin as a form of payment, 
is that is that also potentially going to be another driver that drives the value up or absolutely there's a thing called network effect yeah. where the more people jump on the network and the more popular it becomes um, there's a lot of benefits in a growing network and one of that would be like rising prices for that currency or that token got you got you okay okay and um yeah just one last thing with this so that you know bitcoin is probably the most popular coin but there you know there's a lot of other coin iterations that are popping up um i guess you know at a high level what what differentiates bitcoin versus some of these others is is there a technology difference at all or is it is it purely a perception thing or like for sure there is a difference so for example bitcoin being the original digital currency is really just that it was invented as a way to record monetary transactions but over the years because the technology is evolving ethereum came along and so the creator of ethereum decided you know what let's because at the end of the day what we have to remember is that whether it's bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency it's all software it's all code mm -hmm. so the bitcoin code only records transactions fast forward with ethereum someone had the idea of vitalik buterin said you know what let's add functionality to that code and so now it's a smart contract as opposed to like a dumb contract right because mm -hmm. now the code can do certain things you can write a function into the code to say when this token hits this wallet then send this documentation to the other wallet for example right so that's where the innovation really came about it was an explosion of innovation because now people are able to automate things and then now because it's all code there are cryptocurrencies that get paid because they actually audit the code of other blockchains, for example. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, or there is a cryptocurrency out there where you get paid out and the currency is used to fund or at least incentivize that blockchain so that people can add a line of code to another blockchain. And what it does is it tracks uh, scammers. So let's hmm. say, you know, there's like this big scam recently where someone posted a bunch of coins based on that one Netflix show, Squid Games. Have you guys Squid heard game. of that? Squid Game, yep. yep. <laughs> so there was like a Squid great, great Game. Great show, by the way. Great. Yeah, yeah it, it was it was really dope. But um, so there was a scam coin made. And so these people got, quote unquote, rug pulled. You know, imagine getting the rug pulled from underneath your feet. But essentially, they came with these coins and then they shut down the website and took all that money, right? But um, had you used the other cryptocurrency and it's basically an implementation where they just add a line of script to it, they can track down where that money went and they can actually freeze that account. And so you'd be able to get your money back. So all, all of these use cases popping up and it's all blockchain related. Um, they're not one and the same. I would say right now, because there are so many coins, I would say the biggest differentiator is probably the marketing behind each coin. And that's why you get things like Shiba coin or Dogecoin really getting a lot of attention and limelight when in all reality, those coins do nothing. I, I guess from a marketing standpoint, are they trying to, um, are they being positioned for, to be more secure or beneficial for certain types of transactions? Like, like I don't know, like, like, like real estate versus retail or something like that or or I, i'm just curious how was how was the marketing kind of angled with that yeah. 
I mean, it really depends. Like for Shiba and Dogecoin, like Dogecoin was actually made to poke fun at cryptocurrency. And for whatever reason, because, you know, Elon Musk was tweeting about it, it blew up, right? Same thing with Dogecoin. People are just, it's kind of like a get rich kind of vibe. You know, it kind of brings me back to history where tulips were all the rage way, way back in the Mm -hmm. day. Um, so a, a big component is just that, like, how do we build up hype so that people can, you know, they, they there's a fear of missing out. They want to yeah. get in on the technology. They don't really know everything about it, but they heard some TikTok influencer talking about it. And so many people are making money hand over fist. I need to get in now, you know? Gotcha. But there's obviously other blockchains that really promote real world use cases whether it be um you know how do i how do i increase efficiencies in the supply chain so there are coins that are doing that like amp and i think they've got a partnership with amazon for example mm-hmm. um there are other coins where you know they are trying to to the counterfeit story that i've told earlier there's a coin called um v chain so they track the supply chain to make sure that the thing that you're buying is authentic Mm -hmm. right and then we also have like another sector of the market if you will where they're like stable coins where they're pegged to a dollar so you know in case in case you don't want to invest in stocks because inflation is so high and your portfolio is going down the drain you can instead buy crypto and if you think like a crypto is gonna trend downward now you can convert all of those assets to a stable coin and then you'll never quote unquote lose money on that crypto interesting is that kind of like shorting a stock or or i know there's like hedging you can do I, i'm not the, the expert with 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 stock trading but um yeah i think it's less on shorting it because shorting is like you're borrowing stocks today so that you can you know redeem them at a future date for more profit you know uh, this one is just sort of like hedging your bets is a better way of putting it gotcha. yeah. because, you know, cryptocurrency prices are so volatile. It's like wild, crazy swings. Um, and it's all driven by speculation and market news nowadays. Let's switch gears here and talk about NFTs, which have been exploding in popularity. Um, I know in I, either conversations we've had or others at RPA, you know, there's a lot that are being linked to movies, music, um, sports memorabilia. I, I think I, I want to say, uh, you know, sports cards is a big kind of uh, big use case for NFTs right now. Um, yeah, Amy, let's maybe go to you. Uh, what, you know, why do you see NFTs as being so valuable and now becoming so popular in, in the uh, mainstream now? I think like David was saying, it's it's part hype, it's part tulip craze, but it's also allowing artists to monetize work that they maybe not have been able to get royalties on before. Or, you know, the painter of the Mona Lisa never got royalties on the cups that are being made now. Whereas that's something that digital artists, musicians, artists, you know, me people that are famous memes are able to cash in on things that they should have been making money on and royalties on so i think that's one component of it um you know brands are getting into it where 
able to connect with different audiences and, you know, provide new types of assets and currency between two entities that maybe are only, you know, have a connection through a vehicle, but then now have another connection through art. And so they're just, um, it's a new platform for art, really, in all these different types of mediums. Yeah, you know, um, just to follow up on that before I, uh, before David, you chime in. Um, yeah, that, you know, that's interesting, you way, the way you frame that, because I never thought about it that way. Because traditionally, artists, you know, if, if they're, if they're lucky, they'll have a, a, a piece of, you know, a work sell for a high price at an auction or get placed in a museum. And I'm, I'm sure there's some type of transaction that takes place if, if uh, a, a work of art is featured at a museum for a certain period of time. But, but you're saying this is an additional uh, revenue revenue stream, so to speak, where where now they can create, you know, additional. Uh, is it would you say they're copies of their art to be able to provide a mechanism for more consumers to have to have ownership over it? Is is that how you would describe it? Or we just sat in on a legal meeting, so it's not like you um, own that you own the Mona Lisa once you purchase it. You you own the right to have that asset, but when it's made into something else, um, it's allowing the artist to gain royalties on its use in the digital space. It's it's a revenue source for artists that would may may have made their money once at an auction and then have, you know, not made money since. So it's giving artists, musicians, you know, the right to sell their own music and when it gets passed to the next person, they continue to make money even though it goes from one person to the next and your CD is done selling and you've only made that $20. When it go when it then sells again to the next person or it gets shared with somebody else, you're still making money on that song that you that you made. Do you um yeah you pro I'm not sure if you know this, but I, I'd be really curious because the uh, the um the royalties that the aggregators like Spotify and Pandora play, uh, pay out to artists for their music to be streamed. I I heard it's like very, very minuscule, like like 0.001 of a cent per per play. And there's a lot of other intricacies involved if it's part of a playlist or things like that. Do you, I mean, with with what you're saying with NFTs paying royalties to to artists and musicians, is it more than what you know they they're getting paid from Spotify or Pandora? I, I'm just kind of curious. You know. I would assume that well, I mean, you set the price for what your art is worth, so. Yes, I, I I assume that the cost for your song is more than 0.0001 cent that you would get. Um, just to be clear, I'm not quoting a. Source. <laughs> yeah, I'm, no. I'm taking. I'm making an educated <laughs> guess for the listeners out there. I don't don't quote me on that. So yeah. No, me neither. I mean, but it it's allowing people to you know take control of their own contracts, not having these intermediaries again. It's you know giving artists the chance to look at their own contracts, make their own smart contracts on a blockchain and know that they're the originators of something and it can always be traced back to you as an artist. Cool. Yeah, uh, David, did you want to, I had another question about David. I'll let you chime in. Uh, yeah, I guess NFTs totally agree with Amy. Um, it's disruptive. It's currently disrupting art and music because it's getting rid of the middlemen or the middle layer um 
there's a lot of artists who are sort of kickstarting their careers. You guys remember Kickstarter, right? Where crowd crowdsourcing or crowdfunding was a big thing for a second, right? Mm -hmm. So this is sort of like the evolution of that. And instead of launching a website and just like asking for cash, you can now automate it into the smart contract where the, the people who were there first to promote you, you can bake it into the smart contract to say, you know what, I want them to have a piece of my royalty too. So it's not just about the artist, but it's really about community building and having a stronger relationship between the artists and the people and the fans that support them. And I think that's where the real disruption lies. Yeah, that so that you know that that probably partially answers the next question that I had is is how are um, artists, musicians, like how are they going about uh, creating these communities or um, these marketplaces to to not only um, create exposure for these NFTs that they're offering, you know, for purchase, but then how are they attracting um, the fans? I guess are are they kind of leveraging their existing fans, but then also surfacing the NFT as an additional option to own their music or art? Or I guess I'm just kind of curious, like how they're creating the demand for NFTs in particular versus, you know, just like selling CDs or, or their streams or whatnot. It's, it's tough because, you know, when you're marketing something, you, you think what is going to make a successful marketing campaign? It's similar for artists, right? Like, how do I make sure that someone wants to, you know, buy this NFT or, or be involved in my art? Um, so there are lots of different ways. The, the NFT community is very supportive of each other. And so when they know that you're genuine in what you're doing and what you're promoting, a lot of the communities are organic and they build up around you. So. There are Discord channels where people are fans of something, and then so they talk about it, they build up the hype themselves, they moderate themselves, and then they support the campaigns or projects that they feel are you know, relevant to them. So it's a very organic, community-based support system, really, and marketing. It's, you can do as much as you want, but really it's about being genuine in the space. Yeah, I agree. I think the marketing stays the same, like just building that authentic brand that resonates with people. I mean, you don't have to resonate with everyone, right? You're looking for that one niche market that agrees with what you're singing or what you're what you're contributing to in terms of the art world. Mm -hmm. um, I think what NFTs, what it allows them to do, it's not that they have to build the marketplace, the marketplace is there already and it facilitates you know that monetary aspect you know i don't have to go out and get an agent now mm. you know if i've already got like an instagram following i could push it out to my followers and say check out this new thing that i'm doing if you like it you can go to OpenSea and you could buy the nft get in on my first drop you know if you support me now down the line when i have my other drops you'll get a discount for example or maybe you'll get a piece of that royalty so it's just like um, it allows you to reward the people who make it possible for, for you to do what yeah. you love to do. That's interesting. Um, so do you, you know, back, I guess uh, thinking about music specifically, um, uh, just from some research I've done in the past, you know, record labels, a lot of times they're 
um, you know, their role is very important for new artists because they they have these machines that can, uh, you know, promote the hell out of you. Obviously, if you're good, they can set you up with uh, the recording studio, um, you know, help you out with marketing your albums, set you up with concert dates. Um, so they're kind of creating or help or helping accelerate that that generation of audiences for you. I I guess with with what we're talking about here with NFTs, do you do you see this being more applicable with uh, maybe established or or artists that already have followings? Is that is that where this is more of a more of a play you think versus a startup artist? Or just kind of curious there, because I guess I bring this up because there there is this. Um, you know, obviously record labels have a role, but there is kind of this negative stigma against them because they 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 do take a lot of the profits away from artists because of the machines they provide and stuff. David, do you want to start with this one? I think it go both ways. If you're established or if you're up and coming, it's going to it's going to make your life easier either way, because, you know, now like so, for example, based on my a little bit of my understanding on the music industry when you get started someone has to own your master right that master and that contract kind of spells out how much you get paid for how long and who owns your music sometimes the artist they don't really own their own music so nfts as a vehicle to get paid allows them that freedom of owning their own music so I don't think you need to be established. It's definitely helpful if you're an up, up and coming artist with very little brand following, you know, or brand exposure. But as soon as you hit critical mass, you're going to have way more money than you ever had going that route versus like going with a record label, for example. It really depends, you know, like when you go with a record label or a company, they have templates on how to build you up. And there is an investment on their part, you know, when they're putting in for a new artist, for instance. So if you're a new artist, do you think, do I want to go and pay these people that have something that they know is working and maybe will promote me and make me a star? Or do I go myself and build up my own community and find people that really do enjoy my music and my artwork? And maybe that's more successful. It really like David said, it depends on who you are as an artist and what you want to get out of it. Yeah, that makes that, that makes that makes sense. I, I mean, I think regardless from what you guys are saying, uh, it, it seems like um, this, uh, I'll call it this kind of distribution avenue should be part of the, uh, the, 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 the strategy for any artist kind of moving forward, since it seems like there is a following and an appetite for this for ownership over this music in, in particular. So this has been great. Um, do you have any curious, any, any predictions for the next year? Um, you know, maybe a category of NFTs that you see exploding even more, any predictions around Bitcoin or other coins where you may see more adoption in the future? Just, just kind of curious of some kind of specific use cases where you see this, this space kind of taking off in the next year. For me, I feel like there are a lot more ties with things that are real world and then having that also tie in with an NFT. So there are restaurants that are, you know, giving access to people that have certain NFTs or for in there's products that are tied directly with NFT launches. 
And on that note, I just want to, you know, say there these types of ideas, I think from agency perspectives, they come always from the creative team. Whereas at RPA, a good idea is a good idea. And David had a really great idea. He pitched it to the client. And now we have someone that's, you know, from the analytics team coming to the creative team with an idea. So I think just as a plug for RPA, it's a place that really embraces people first. And people first means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But to me, it means giving everyone an opportunity to be at the table. And I feel like, you know, NFTs is one thing that nobody really knows anything about. You know, we're all learning as we're going and, you know, we're building the bridge and we're all, everyone's throwing in planks as we're going. But like David said, you know, it's, it's something that we learn together. And just so I know it's, this is not exactly <laughs> answering your question, but I, I do want to say that, like, um, I think the technology is changing. It's, it's growing. And as somebody that maybe wants to get into agency life one day, just know that RPA is a place that your ideas and your, you know, you as your authentic self can be here in this agency. Yeah, love the plug for RPA. Obviously, this is Clear the Air brought to you by RPA, so love that. <laughs> um, but uh, the no, the restaurant example that you bought, actually, uh, my wife works in hospitality for a group associated with the Hyatt Hotels, and they have a new restaurant that just opened up. And literally, it's it's a month-long wait list to get a, a table at this restaurant. And yeah, what you just said might have been an interesting if they maybe allowed early access via NFTs that you purchased in advance like that. That could have been an interesting kind of uh, go to market, you know, type of type of launch for them. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Amy, for the plug. Um, really appreciate it. Along those lines, I think blockchain and NFTs, if you had to tie it back to RPA, I think the word is, you know, democratization, bring it down to a human level. The technology is open source. You can go on to some GitHub repository and download a piece of software and make your own coin, right? If you believe in a project and you're looking for a way to uh, back it financially, now you have the means to do so. And as the barrier to entry is relatively low. And in a lot of ways, RPA being people first gives us that flexibility to just, you know, be a, a human being that's curious. And so low barriers to entry there too. Mm -hmm. I think in the short interim with NFTs, like Amy said, I think it's going to be another medium, a way to connect with people, right? A way to reward the people who really believe in what you're doing. So what that means is that people are going to use NFTs to give uh, their fans exclusive content. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have an NFT to join a membership or be have a membership in an exclusive club. It's it's a it's a ticket for you to meet like-minded individuals. And so maybe like this club, you know, the only thing that you need is that NFT to get in mm -hmm. and then be around like-minded individuals. I think midterm, it's gonna be a lot of um, regulation coming. You know, um, just wanted to take a quick minute to really address what's going on in Ukraine, for example. I know there are a lot of folks at RPA who have family and friends over there who are impacted by this. Um, so I'd want to acknowledge that and let them know that we support them. But from how it ties in with blockchain and crypto, for example, 
going back to what Amy said earlier about cross-border payments, you can actually send Ethereum to the Ukrainian government mm. in support, right? And you know that that money you sent is going to go directly to them instead of like sending it to an organization. You kind of are unsure of what they're going to do with that money or if the money even makes it there, for example. But the flip side is, you know, if we think about geopolitical issues, all these sanctions that are coming down on Russia, they've got to find a way to get money too. So guess what? They're going to turn to crypto. And so them circumventing these sanctions are going to lead to more regulations in the crypto space. I think midterm to long-term, you're going to see a lot of consolidation. We may, I think right now we've got like thousands and thousands of tokens in currency. We may just have like maybe a hundred. Mm-hmm. Sort of like in that dot-com era where where only the fittest will survive. And the, these coins or these companies with real-world use cases will only be around. And actually, it'll be consumed by larger coins. There will be more centralization, which is counter, counter, counterintuitive to an idea of decentralization. But eventually, it's going to all have to fall back to a handful of coins that people trust. I think the long term for NFTs, they're going to continue to disrupt. And maybe they'll disrupt you know, the auto industry. What if you bought your car and your title is going to be an NFT? And then, you, you know, you get it service and it gets all recorded on the blockchain. And then now when you go to sell it to Carvana, all they have to say is give me that wallet address or that token address and let me check. Oh, things look good. Okay, cool. We'll buy your car. Mm-hmm. And what if that kind of um, expands into real estate? The problem is there's a lot of regulation that needs to be put in place. And also there's a lot of legal hurdles, but I could totally see NFTs and blockchain continuing in that trend got you that's um no very very great great summary uh very well said there thank you guys i uh i mean i you know like like amy was saying none of us have all this figured out but i definitely feel a lot more educated after after having this chat and and hopefully do i thank you david (laughs) (laughs) it's a team thing yeah yeah and hopefully the audience does too but uh no thank you guys for for um having this discussion and yeah, I feel like we may want to revisit this in six to seven months with, with just how fast it, uh, things are changing. Um, yeah, like David, the regulation uh, thing or piece that you touched on, uh, that's been a hot topic in my circle of friends as well, too. Just kind of curious to see what the impacts of that are going to be here. So, yeah, so thank you guys again. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, you know, hopefully we can welcome, welcome you back uh, later on in the year. Sure. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Amy. Cool. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, David. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for listening to Clear the Air with RPA. Please remember to leave a rating and a review and hit subscribe to the show on whichever platform you're listening from. If you have a show idea or guest you'd like to hear from, please don't hesitate to reach out to the team at rpa-pod at rpa.com. That's rpa-pod at rpa.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday with another new episode.